the kingdom of Christ. Now, I'm going to ask you, what do all these nations and empires have in common? Babel. Egypt. Babylon. The Incan Empire. The Roman Empire. The British Empire. The United States. The European Union. What do all those nations and empires have in common? Their empires? Yeah. Wow, good. I love teaching fresh things. Okay. They have failed. They are absolute, total failures, either in the past or they are failing right now. And why are these governments and nations and empires failing? It's because of this. They have been unable to fill the government's primary role, and that is to protect its citizens. They have failed to protect their citizens from lawlessness, from dealing with disasters, from dealing with hunger providing for their people, from dealing with the diseases that are ravaging the world. They failed because they cannot keep the peace and are always at war. There are 38 wars going on right now as I speak. They haven't put an end to human suffering. Again and again and again, human government has failed to achieve what its purpose is. Now, in my book, The Twelve Faith Journeys of the Minor Prophets, which I co-host with Pastor Steve Howell, we write about the lessons that the minor prophets learned when their faith was challenged. There are lessons that I believe are applicable to us today, especially as we go along our own faith journeys. Now, when it came to the prophet Micah, Micah had to learn how to keep the faith when government had failed. Now, he was lamenting about how failed government. He wailed this passage. He said, The faithful man has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among men. The prince asks for gifts. The judge seeks a bribe. The great man utters his evil desires, and so they scheme together. So I ask you this. Is there any hope whatsoever that mankind will be freed from the failure that is our flawed human government, or are we just destined to forever suffer under its weight? Will we ever be free of it? Well, God revealed the answer to the prophet Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar was given a vision, this dream, and he couldn't interpret it, but Daniel was able to interpret it. And the dream basically was this. It was a great, massive statue with a head of gold. And the gold represented, was represented, it was Nebuchadnezzar in his Babylonian empire. And that would be one day replaced by the chest of silver. And that was the Medo-Persian empire. And that government would fall. And the rise up would be the Greek empire, which is the belly and thighs of bronze. And eventually, that would be replaced by the legs of iron, the two sides. And that was the great Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire wouldn't quite go away, but it would dissolve and it would get weak and it would be like iron mixed with clay. And so it would be divided into ten regions, but eventually they would be strong but also weak. And in this vision, he saw something that even more amazing than that statue And that was this, a rock, a stone not cut out by human hands came crashing out of the sky and it hit the statue and it blew it up. The statue was so blown up that it dissolved into dust and blew away. And the stone not cut by human hands grew and grew until it was a mountain that filled the whole earth. 
Now, we are told by this, that human government will be no more, and that it will be replaced by what's called the kingdom of Christ. That one day, human government will end, and it will be replaced by the kingdom of Christ. Now, you're probably saying, Nathan, what, are you, what is this kingdom of Christ that you are talking about? Well, I'm going to let Cotton Mather explain it to you. Cotton Mather was a Puritan pastor in New England, late 1600s, early 1700s. And if you want to know why his mama named him Cotton, just check out that hairdo there. Now, Cotton explained the kingdom of Christ as the threefold kingdom of Christ with a fourth one yet to come. So the first one was a spiritual kingdom, and he described it as this, where in his word, God's word, the grace rules over the consciences of men. In other words, there is a spiritual kingdom of Christ, and it rules over the consciences of men. There was also the providential kingdom, wherein Christ's government is over all the affairs and motions of the world. In other words, God is sovereign, right? Therefore, there is a providential kingdom. But the third fold of Christ's kingdom is this, an ecclesiastical kingdom, wherein Christ appoints and prospers the ordinances of a church state. In other words, Christ rules through his body, the body of Christ, the church. And we are, folks, that aspect, that fold of the kingdom. But Cotton said this, there is a fourth one yet to come, and that's called the Davidic kingdom. And he said, that belongs unto our Lord Jesus Christ. So when I talk about the kingdom of Christ, I'm actually talking about all four of those aspects. And I think a lot of confusion comes because people believe in one or two or maybe three, but they leave out this fourth aspect of the kingdom of Christ. Matter of fact, this kingdom, this Davidic kingdom, is established on God's promise to King David in 2 Samuel 7. I will set up your seed after you, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So Nathan spoke to David. Now, God meant in this passage that when you hear a man named Nathan speak, you should listen. (laughs) And especially if your name is David. (laughs) No, 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 no. Now you get it. Okay, good. Okay. So, what I want to know is, Was Jesus talking about a literal kingdom, an actual literal seed on a literal throne with a literal kingdom that would last literally forever? Or is the Davidic kingdom just rolled up in the other three that I just mentioned? Well, before I get into that, the great debate of this topic about the kingdom of Christ, I just want to read the Bible. Can we do that? Let's read what the Bible has to say about the kingdom of Christ, and we'll go from there. Okay. The kingdom of Christ is based on a promise that Jesus would return. Now, do you know how the Bible ends? Revelation 22. It ends on a promise, not given once, not given twice, not given three times, but three times Jesus said, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Three times Jesus said, I am coming back. I am coming back. I am coming back. And when God makes a promise, can we believe it will happen? Ironclad, no doubt, in your mind, Jesus Christ is coming back. Great. Now, how does that work? Because some people just say, he's coming back. Good, I'm done. Okay, no. There is a little more to it. 
And it revolves around something else. The regathering of the Jewish people back to Israel. The promise of Jesus is tied to the most significant prophecy ever made in the entire Bible. It's tied to the prophecy that the Jewish people who've been scattered all over the earth since 70 AD will be regathered back into the land of Israel. For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you, though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you. Yet I will not make a complete end of you, but I will correct you in justice and will not let you go altogether on punishment. Now, the reason for the Jews were scattered by God was punishment for their unfaithfulness to him and for their sins. But it was only meant to be for a time, for God has a plan to save the Jewish remnant. And at the same time, as he's saving the Jewish remnant, putting an end to earthly government. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again a second time to recover the remnant of his people. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. A banner for Israel, a flag, a national flag. So the regathering of the Jewish people, and there they are, happy Jewish people. They all got their cell phones. You know, been Israel, they... They all got their cell. They're very happy. This regathering of the children of Israel isn't to be confused with their first regathering from Babylon. It's a second regathering from all the nations of the world. And it's not just going to be Judah coming back from Babylon like it was 2,500 years ago, but all 12 tribes of Israel. I will bring them back, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. They shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. Now, they're being brought back to live in the land God has promised Abraham in the midst, Israel, in their capital, Jerusalem. And folks, God is bringing these people back to fulfill his promise that they will be his people again. But a people who now love truth and righteousness and are finally, finally committed to him. How does this happen? It involves the day of the Lord. Now, you and I live in an amazing time. Because we have been around to see the Jewish people reform their nation. In May of 1948, it became a nation once more. In June of 1967, Israel took back Jerusalem. If people say, you hear it all the time, people saying, we're not living in a prophetic time. Oh my goodness, yes, we're living in a prophetic time. Israel is back, but their hearts are still not with God. The Jewish people today are nearly number in the 12 millions, but 85% of them are humanists. For their hearts to turn to God, God has to work in their hearts to fulfill yet another prophecy, and that is the day of the Lord. The great day of the Lord is near. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. The day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refutes. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them from the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. Now, the prophet Zephaniah described a time when the wrath of God would be poured out on the whole world because of its sin. And we read about these horrific days in the book of Revelation. 
21 judgments of God are going to befall the world. It's going to pretty much decimate the 7 billion people that are left on this planet. And it's going to destroy the ecology of the world that if it went longer than 7 years, the earth would no longer cease to exist. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, for I will gather all the nations to battle against Jerusalem. This city shall be taken, the houses rifled, and the women ravished. Half of the city shall go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall split into two from east to west, making a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move towards the north and half towards the south. Then you shall flee through my mountain valley. Thus, the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. Now, Zechariah describes the day of the Lord. It's the end almost of the people of Israel. It focuses on the people of Israel. Satan's forces. He gathers the armies that are left of the world. He gathers them around Israel and he tries to destroy and wipe out finally the Jewish people. And folks, that's when Jesus comes back. I don't know if you all watch Superman or you like the Incredible Hulk or something, but if you've seen those Avengers movies, I'm sorry, wrong audience, but out there, if you've seen those movies, the Hulk smashes, right? He crashes to the ground. The earth splits. He's so, when Jesus comes back, it's going to be like Superman. He's going to crash the ground so much that the mountain splits in two. It forms a valley right into Jerusalem, and the Jewish people, a remnant, can escape. Haggai 2.22 says, I will overthrow the thrones of the kingdoms. I will destroy the strength of the Gentile kingdoms. So Jesus returns. He's an enraged warrior king who will personally and by himself destroy the attacking armies and the nations behind him. And that's when the power of the Gentile nations will finally come to an end. Daniel's rock, not cut out by human hands, will smash the power of the Gentile nations in Christ's kingdom will finally fill the whole earth. So what's the aftermath? I'm giving you a little background before we get into Christ's kingdom here. The aftermath is this. And from that time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there should be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. Now, what? what, what? Well, Daniel 9.27 tells us that the day of the Lord would be seven years long, but he gives us 30 days and another 45 days, 75 days after the day of the Lord. So what is he going to do? What is Jesus going to do with those 75 extra days? Well, Matthew 25 tells us this, that during that time, Jesus is going to hold a judgment. And it's called the sheep-goat judgment. And those who've rejected Christ and survived to the end of the tribulation, they will be sent to Hades and they will wait punishment. But those who've accepted Christ during the tribulation and managed to survive, they will live on in their earthly bodies into the kingdom of Christ. And that's where we will enter. We will enter the kingdom of Christ. Because that, folks, is when the Messiah reigns. The Messiah reigns. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. So, once Jesus has destroyed Satan's rule of the earth through human government, he will then set up his own government here on this earth. It will never pass away. Now, think of that. What nation has ever survived the test of time? But Jesus' kingdom, we're told, will stand forever. I love these verses. They're exciting. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. 
For the kingdom is the Lord's, and He rules over the nations. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon His shoulders, and His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of His government and peace there will be no end. Upon the throne of David, let me emphasize again, the throne of David and over His kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward even forever. Now, this famous Christmas passage reveals the character of the king and his kingdom, the one who sits on the throne of David. Now, catch these words here. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his way. Now, look at the words that characterize Jesus and compare it to human government today. I use the words righteousness, right? What else? Justice, peace, equity. Does that sound like government today? This is something to get excited about because we don't live in a time like this. How about this? He will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. And the coastlands shall wait in his law. So the defining characteristic of the kingdom is justice. Jesus will not let anybody get away with being sloppy with private emails and let them get away scot-free. It won't happen. You can't be a criminal or a cook. Crook. You can be a cook, but you can't be a crook. You can't make 43 people mysteriously disappear and still win the ballot. It won't be like that then. Now, here's another verse. Look upon Zion, the city of our appointed feast. Your eyes will see Jerusalem. There the majestic Lord will be. So Jesus' seat of authority will be placed in the city of Jerusalem. Now, you've got to wonder, why does the whole world fight over Jerusalem? Well, it's satanic because Satan knows that Jesus Christ is coming and he's going to set up his capital in Jerusalem. And that's why everybody on the planet wants Jerusalem or at least a piece of it. Now, it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and people shall flow to it. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths For out of Zion, the law shall go forth. The word of the Lord from Jerusalem, he shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. Now, the mountains that Jerusalem stand on will be lifted up, this passage tells us, leading some people to believe that one day Jerusalem will sit on the highest mountain on the earth. It'll be like Everest. It will be the top places. It will also be esteemed as high as well. And the nations of the world will stream to it and they will hang on every word that Jesus has to say. 
Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Kings shall shut their mouths at him. So it tells us here that there will be kings on the earth, but they will be ruling under the king of kings and all the glory and power will be Jesus's. That to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. And if anyone thinks that they can overthrow the kingdom of Christ, they are woefully, woefully deluded. And we'll get a little about more on that later. Now, one of the characteristics, let's get into the characteristics of the kingdom of Christ. One, number six, the world knows the Lord. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. Now, every person on the planet at that time will know Jesus Christ personally. They will visit him at least once a year. There'll be no need for missions or for the spreading of the gospel anymore because everybody will know about Jesus. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nation shall worship before you. So the Lord will finally receive all the worship that's due him for Jesus has earned our thanksgiving and our praise. For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place, incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Now, aren't you tired of hearing Jesus' name being used as a swear word all the time? My son just got his first job at Pizza Hut and he came home like, ow, 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 my ears hurt. All those people swear all the time. It was a culture shock to him. And we're so tired of hearing the world. They never curse Buddha. They never curse Muhammad. They're always cursing Jesus. But the name of Jesus might be reviled in our day, but in the kingdom of Christ, it will finally receive the honor due it. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell in safety. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Now, I don't know if it's because the name of Jesus or Yeshua had been maligned for so many centuries, but Jesus will go by a new name during this kingdom of Christ, and that's the Lord our righteousness. It's Yahweh Sidkenu. Can you say that? Yahweh Sidkenu. Now, that's a, I have a hard time, so it might take some practice, but we'll get it. Yahweh Sidkenu. And Jerusalem will be the capital city. Therefore, thus says the Lord... I am returning to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, says the Lord of hosts. And thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Jerusalem is the city promised. It will be the capital of the world. It will not be in Brussels and it will not be in New York. It won't even be in Ugubagubantu. I don't know. I don't know. But it will be In Jerusalem, there is no other city, not even Austin. In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. Now, most people... When they think of Jerusalem today, they think it's, well, it's the city of Bible. But 
you've been there, if you've gone with us to Israel, and I strongly suggest you do, it is a pagan city. It's divided by humanism, Islam, Judaism, Roman and Orthodox Catholicism, and many other isms. But during the kingdom of Christ, the city, the inhabitants, and even the bells and the pots will be set aside as holy and devoted to Jesus Christ. King David has a role in the kingdom of Christ. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. And I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. So, speaking of kings, King David himself, from the Old Testament, is promised to be something like the mayor of Jerusalem. And thanks to Hollywood, we know he looks like Richard Gere. (laughs) Then he brought me back to the outer gates of the sanctuary, which faces the sea east, but it was shut. And the Lord said to me, the gate shall be shut, it shall not be open, and no man shall enter by it, because the Lord God of Israel has entered by it, and therefore it shall be shut. As for the prince, King David, because he is the prince, he may sit in it and eat bread before the Lord. He shall enter by the way of the vestibule of the gateway and go out the same way. This is a little interesting side note I had to put in here that when Jesus returns, he is going to blow that eastern gate away and enter through it. And a new gate will be put there, but only Jesus is allowed to enter it. King David's allowed to sit in it. He can eat a little bread, but he's got to go by the side gate. Why the Bible told us this, I don't know, but I found it quite interesting. Why does there have to be an eastern gate? Because there will be a millennial temple. And folks, just a little commentary, that abomination up there won't be there anymore. Every picture, you ever gone onto Google Images and typed in Jerusalem? You always get the Dome of the Rock. I don't want to think of Jerusalem as the Dome of the Rock. I want it to think of it as the millennial kingdom. Zechariah 6, 12-13 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his own throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Now, Jesus himself is going to build this new millennial temple. I'm not talking about the tribulation temple that will only last a few years and the Antichrist will desecrate. But Jesus Christ will make this massive temple and he will rule there as king and as priest. And there will be peace between both. And then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud of smoke by day and a shining of flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering. Cloud by day, fire by night. What does that sound like? Yeah, the Exodus. Who was leading the Jewish people around for 40 years? The Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory of God. You want to know where the Holy Spirit is during the millennial kingdom, the kingdom of Christ? He will be there as well. Even then, I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. This is probably one of the most asked questions that come into our ministry. Why are there animal sacrifices during the millennial kingdom? And I'll give you the answer. I don't know. Please stop asking and don't get mad at me. I didn't write it. The Bible says it and therefore that's what it is. Some theologians have concluded it has to be like a memorial, like communion. Others believe that because the priests are uh, human, they need ritual purifications, but there will be animal sacrifices 
it's just what it is. Okay. I'm sure I'll get 10 emails on Monday. Okay. During another aspect of the kingdom of Christ is that the Jewish people will be exalted. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For my anger is turned away from him. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Now, do you remember that the Jewish people during the kingdom of Christ, will they'll be believers. They won't be unbelievers. The Jewish people will be saved. They'll be healed from their backsliding. And they will be a priestly people to the world. The Lord will bless them. And in turn, the Jewish people will be a blessing to the world. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days, ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, Let us go up with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Isn't that cool? The righteous Jewish people during the kingdom of Christ will be a priestly people connecting the Gentile world to Jesus Christ. And at that time I will bring you back, even at the time I gather you, for I will give you fame and praise amongst the people of the earth. Then I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. Now, such a priestly position comes with the esteem of the world, and the Jewish people will be honored for their services to God. Kings shall be your foster fathers, and queens their nursing mothers. They shall bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick up the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So even earth's kings and queens will show respect to Christ's Jewish priesthood. Ezekiel 38 even tells us that the land promised to Abraham will stretch, not that little sliver they got now, but from the Nile River all the way to the Euphrates River. Now, I just said kings, right? Who are these kings we're talking about? Folks, it's a time when the saints reign. And Daniel 7 says, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. And then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of his kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. Who is Daniel talking about here? Us. He's talking about us. We're the saints. We're called the saints. We return with Jesus Christ at the second coming. We remain in our glorified bodies and we will serve God as kings, queens, administrators, teachers, and law enforcement. Now, how many out there are retired? Don't get comfortable. You're going back to work. But at least you will look more like that, maybe a little older. Okay. So there's a benefit there. Now, so too will the tribulation saints who were killed during the tribulation. We read in Revelation 20, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who is part of the first resurrection. Over such a second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. So the tribulation saints at the end of the tribulation, they too will be resurrected and they will be in glorified bodies and they will reign with us, the church, throughout the kingdom of Christ. And I'm going to switch over and start calling it the millennial kingdom because it tells us how long it'll last. 1,000 years, Revelation 20, six times says 1,000 years, 1,000 years, 1,000 years. And it will be known as a time of joy. There shall the virgin rejoice in the dance and the young men and the old together, for I will turn their mourning to joy and comfort them and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. And nothing makes me happier than thinking 
of little girls with hugging bunny rabbits. It, it reminds me of my little girl used to hug all little animals. She's 14, and she still hugs all the critters, and it just brings joy to my... And that's what I think of when I think of joy in the kingdom of Christ. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. So the Feast of Tabernacles will be reinstituted to the whole world, and Jesus gets to have people come visit him at least every year. Now, Jesus wants to be with his people, so if the people forget, well, he kind of reminds them by turning the rain off. It will also be known as a time of peace with no war. And folks, when I say no war, I mean no war. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. But everyone shall sit under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Bow and sword of battle, I will shatter from the earth to make them lie down in safety. Now, folks, how long has mankind tried to end war? Well, during the kingdom of Christ, it will be a time of true peace and no war. No soldiers, no weapons, no hatred of our fellow man. Think of what our nation's budget would be like if we spent it on the people and not on fighting and bombs and things. That's what the millennial kingdom will be like. Even the animals will be at peace. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. And the cow and the bear shall graze, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole, and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Now even the animals will be at peace with each other, and with mankind. And there's only two groups that will find that unsettling. One, nature documentaries. They're all about animals eating each other. There won't be anything, no nature documentaries. And two, lions will be very, very depressed during the Millennial Kingdom. I feel for that lion. (laughs) The land will be bountiful. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, he who sows the seeds. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine and the hills shall flow with it. For the seed shall be prosperous and the vine shall give its fruit and the ground shall give her increase and the heaven shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of the people to possess all these. In that day, the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing and for those of Israel who have accepted. Now, the kingdom of Christ will be known as a time of agricultural bounty. Who are my brothers and sisters from Kentucky that are here? Woohoo! When I lived in Kentucky, I could spit a seed in the ground, and a week later I'd have a full-grown tree, tons of fruit. It was wonderful. And then I moved to God's country here in Texas, and I can't even get an onion to not be anemic. In the millennial kingdom, it'll be like Kentucky. Mm. And I just lost my job. Okay. (laughs) In that day it shall be the living water shall flow from Jerusalem. There will be water flowing from Jerusalem. And it will go into the Dead Sea. And that Dead Sea, if you've been there, we've been there, some of you have gone with me, have seen how dead it is. It will become alive again. And the earth will be covered in plains. 
Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. It's believed that the day of the Lord, because of four great earthquakes during the tribulation, will level the earth so that the rough places are smooth. And folks, we will have long life. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. Now, before the flood, people lived how long? Hundreds of years. But those who choose evil, they will die young. But those people in earthly bodies will live up to a thousand years. And the inhabitants will not say, I am sick. And then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. The lame will leap, and the tongue of the dumb sing. Sickness and disabilities will not exist. And folks, I get excited about the millennial kingdom because I have a son who's got autism. And at 12 years old, I have never heard him say the name daddy or talk or learn his alphabet or anything like that. And I don't want to call him dumb, but the Bible says the tongue of the dumb will sing. And I look forward to that day when my son in his resurrected body will sing. And he will sing better than me because I'm a terrible singer. <laughs> Satan will be bound. Then I saw an angel coming from the heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of that dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit. He shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should not deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he will be released for a little while. When Jesus comes back, he takes Satan, the Antichrist and the false prophet, and he sends the Antichrist and the false prophet right to hell, the first inhabitants of hell, but Satan he puts in a pit. So nobody during the millennial kingdom will be tempted by Satan or any of his demons. And as that sounds wonderful, it's not as wonderful as this. Satan will finally be defeated. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison. He will go out to deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for battle, whose number is the sand of the sea. They went up on the breath of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. And fire came down from God of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And if there's any time to say hallelujah, that's the time. Hallelujah. Amen. God releases Satan at the end of the thousand years. The kids born to the millennial saints, they still have to choose God or not. Some will choose Christ, some will not. They'll side with Satan, they'll attack Jerusalem. Jesus lets loose the fire. That's it. That's the end of Satan. And he will be cast into the fire. I love that. He's burning. And I don't feel bad about saying that because I am so tired of what Satan has done to this earth. But he will be punished forever and ever and ever. And that's when we get to final judgment. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up their dead that is in it, and death and Hades delivered up their dead that were in them, and they were judged, each one according to their works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found in the book of life was cast 
into the lake of fire. Now, folks, with Satan's defeat and sentence to hell, it's now time that God's going to resurrect all those from re- that were in rebellion against them. They've been stored in Hades or torments, it's called, and they will stand before God's throne. And they will be judged based on their works, but they are missing the only work that matters, the work that Jesus did on the cross. They never accepted it. And their sins are not forgiven. And so their punishment remains as hell. And then comes the end. When he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till he has put all the enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Now when all these things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to them and put all things under him that God may be all in all. So the kingdom of Christ has lasted 1,000 years. Christ's enemies are defeated, including death. Jesus hands over the kingdom to the Father and we enter the eternal state. But that's another story, and you heard Dennis hear that. We are finally there. Now, I'm going to ask you these questions and before I close, and I want you to tell me if these are happening right now. Have the Jews been regathered back to the land of Israel? In part. How many Jews? 12 million. How many are there? Only 6 million. We're in the middle of it. Has the world endured the horrors of the day of the Lord? Has Jesus returned physically to conquer? Has the Gentile world order been destroyed? Has the world been judged so only the faithful will enter the kingdom? Nope. How about Jesus rules and reigns as king and priest from his temple in Jerusalem? How about the Jews serve as an exalted priestly people? How about all the world's inhabitants know Jesus and worship him? How about no war between man and beast, but only peace and bounty? How about lifespans are counted by the hundreds of years? Anybody here over 100? Okay. Satan is bound in a pit for a thousand years and does not tempt people to the very end. And when he's released, he's permanently defeated. No, 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 no. But, you know, there are some people out there who say, yes, all that's happened, but it's happened spiritually. Now, they'll agree that the saints have come back. Jesus will come and take his saints back and the redeemed will spend eternally with God. But these people are called amillennialists, a view that the scripture should be spiritualized and prophecy is symbolic. It believes there's no thousand years, no physical kingdom. The kingdom is the church. The millennium is the church age. The new earth is heaven. And the church has replaced Israel. Satan was bound at the cross. Okay. And there's only one physical resurrection. And folks, this is the majority viewpoint of people today. That we, will, we are in the kingdom now, and we're also in the tribulation now, and Jesus will come day. There's also the post-millennial view that the church will conquer the world, and then we'll have this thousand years or so where the church rules and reigns over the earth. Now, it was a theory made by the Unitarian minister, Daniel Whitby. It was very popular in the 1700s, 1800s. It, it caused missions to really move. But at, by World War I, the earth wasn't getting better, was it? It was getting worse and worse. But those who believe in that today, post-millennialism, they tend to be what's called dominion theology or uh, kingdom now. It's very popular amongst them. It mixes a little and little, but an awful lot of spiritual. There's also historic premillennial. It was the position of the early church before 300 AD. Well, there you go. That must be the position, right? The church fathers believed it. It is a little interpretation. It believes, oops, sorry. That we will have a church age, a seven-year tribulation, but it doesn't separate the rapture and the second coming. Then it goes into the millennium. This, I believe, is the most accurate. It was uh, formulated mostly by the Plymouth Brethren in the 1800s, but 
It believes that Jesus will return before, hence pre, the beginning of the millennium. It's based on what's called progressive illumination. In other words, Daniel was like, Angel, I don't understand what you're talking about. And the angel said, in the end, they'll understand. Progressive illumination. And we're in that end, and we're starting to understand better what that progressive illumination means. It separates the rapture from the second coming. And it allows for a pre-tribulation rapture, a mid-tribulation, a pre-wrath, or a post-trib. And I don't know about you, but if you weren't convinced of a pre-tribulation rapture by Dr. Rhodes, you will never be. (laughs) You will never believe it. You will never believe it. So, I'm going to ask you again. Is the kingdom of Christ literal or symbolic? Will there be a literal seed of David, a literal throne of God, a literal kingdom on this earth that will literally last forever? Literally. It will literally last. There's a way to interpret Bible prophecy. And you heard it. There's a golden key. And I say it a little differently than Dr. Rhodes. When the plain sense makes sense, look for no other sense, lest you end up with nonsense. And folks, to spiritualize prophecy, to spiritualize the Bible, is to say that you know what the Bible means more than God knows what the Bible means. And that has made our churches, our pastors, our preachers, our theologians, God. And I would even take that amillennial view is almost blasphemous to do that. But when you take the plain sense meaning in the Bible, don't look for any other sense. Sure, there's symbols and there's literary devices and all. You accept that. You take it for its plain sense. But if you don't, you'll be like amillennialism, end up with nonsense. So, as I close, let me ask you this. Will you be a citizen of the kingdom of Christ? How does one become a citizen of the kingdom of Christ? They have given their hearts to Jesus Christ. They have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior and had asked for repentance of their sins. They have prayed from their heart, Dear Jesus, please forgive me of my sins and be my Lord and Savior. And when you are forgiven, when the punishment of your sins rests upon Jesus Christ, you are guilt-free. You can stand before the Father, holy and pure forever, and you will be a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. Lord, we thank you so much that you love us. I just love studying the millennial kingdom. I thank you so much for Dr. Reagan giving me this topic because, Lord, there's such a future to be excited about. And, Lord, while surely there are many believers here, if not everybody, Lord, we, we know that we have a mission to accomplish, and that is to share the good news of your salvation and your soon return in the time we have left. Lord, I pray everybody here will be a member of the kingdom of Christ. They will enjoy the knowledge of you, Lord, personally face-to-face one day, that their sins will be forgiven, and nobody will leave here or turn off their TVs or monitors or whatnot without having accepted you as Savior. Thank you for your great love. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. Amen.